Hey, Rarecast listeners, Global Genes Next 2021, A Time for Resilience and Ingenuity, is now available to download. This is our annual report on the major developments in rare disease and looks ahead to trends that are reshaping the landscape. To get your free electronic copy, go to globalgenes.org and look for a link to the report on the homepage. You can also go to bit.ly forward slash 2021 next report. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash 2021 next report. The electronic version is free. On-demand print copies can also be ordered for a fee. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Children's Mercy Research Institute has been expanding its efforts to understand the genetics underlying rare diseases. Earlier this year, it opened a new home in downtown Kansas City, and at the end of last year, launched Genomic Answers for Kids, a first-of-its-kind pediatric data repository and the Institute's flagship research initiative. We spoke to Tom Curran, Executive Director of the Children's Mercy Research Institute, about the program its ambitious efforts, and its focus on translational research. Tom, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Daniel. We're going to talk about Children Mercy's Research Institute, its expanding effort in understanding the genetics of rare disease and your genomic answer for kids program. I'll admit to a bit of a coastal bias. I think there are many listeners who may not think of Kansas City when it comes to thinking about cutting-edge genomic research. Perhaps you can take a moment to explain what Children's Mercy Research Institute is and its focus on translational research. Absolutely. And I will confess, having lived on the East and the West Coast, I shared your bias until I actually came to Kansas City. And I urge all your uh, listeners to come to Kansas City. It's a wonderful place. So the history of Children's Mercy goes back over 100 years to the two Berry sisters, uh, one of whom was a dentist and the other uh, was a qualified physician who founded the hospital. Pretty rare to have those qualifications uh, for women back in those days. And they particularly wanted to serve the needs of underserved children. Uh, But from the very beginning, they had a statement that said what they really wanted was to have a research laboratory in the hospital so children's diseases could be actually studied. So they understood long before it became uh, widely known that you need to study diseases in children in order to help sick kids. The reason is that children are not little adults. They have unique diseases and considerations. And when it comes to rare diseases, most of them impact in childhood, the vast majority. So although the focus of Children's Mercy through most of his existence was in delivering the highest quality, quality pediatric health care, there was an interest in research and there were pockets of excellence. Uh, Children's Mercy had one of the first dedicated pediatric uh, uh, clinical pharmacology programs, which over a period of 20 years 
built a, a real center of excellence. And we actually founded one of the very first pediatric genome centers dedicated exclusively to children. That predated me joining Children's Mercy, but when I, I joined in 2016 to develop the concept of a research institute fully embedded in the children's hospital, genomics was always going to be a large part of, of that picture. And at the same time I joined Children's Mercy, recruited a new lead for, for the Genome Center, Tommy Pastanen from uh, uh, Montreal. And uh, he has launched this Genomic Answers for Kids project that you mentioned. So we're really uh, continuing a long-term trajectory of, of Children's Mercy. And we've accelerated the process by building this state-of-the-art research facility tightly integrated with the hospital. There is a, a great focus on translational work. How, how do doctors and researchers interact with each other as they work with patients? You know, you put your finger on, on the, the, the absolute perfect question. Uh, and I have a history of working in pediatric translational research that goes back to the, uh, the mid-90s. So I encountered uh, the conundrum uh, that, that researchers and clinicians, it's, it's like the the English and the British and the Americans divided by a common language. They, they work for the same purpose, but they do it in very different ways. And they need a translational device uh, to bring them together. So over time, I figured out how to create partnerships and the partnerships are, are really key. Everyone is in a sense equal around the table. The caregivers, uh, the research technicians, the, the investigators, the, the faculty, uh, and even the administrators, they have a major role to play when it comes to complex pediatric disease. And the group thinking and the team approach turns out to be the absolute key. So in designing a research institute, the more thought you put into enhancing those encounters, providing environments where physicians and, and, and uh, researchers can talk and including parents and families in that conversation is, is really key to making progress. In February, you opened your new home in downtown Kansas City, a, a nine-story, 375,000 square foot building. Before we get into what's going on inside the building, I'm wondering if you can tell people a little about what they see on the outside. So um, in research, you, you come up with hypotheses, you design experiments to test them. And sometimes things happen that were unexpected and you have a serendipitous finding that leads you in a new direction. Well, the facade of the building was exactly that. When the architects presented me with the design for the building, there was an arbitrary design in light and dark uh, glass panels on the facade. And it actually struck me as a familiar pattern. It looked exactly like two Sanger gels, two DNA sequencing gels. So I asked the architect, could we move some of the panels around uh, to, to create a different design? And she said, absolutely, uh, you can do that. So I moved them around and at, at no cost, the architects were able to plan the building that took on four of our patients' DNA sequences. I reached out to our investigators and they came up with uh, sequences that would illustrate different aspects of pediatric disease. Then the architect mentioned that she could put LED lights, and this was Jackie uh, Foy from BSA Life Structures, LEDs behind the, the windows that could light up at night. So we're able to show 
not only the DNA sequence, but we can highlight in a contrasting color the rare variant that underlies the condition uh, that those uh, individuals had. Uh, one of our uh, subjects uh, volunteered to go public with his condition, his name is Ben, and he actually flicked the switch to turn on the first light on, on the building. And it demonstrates his DNA sequence, uh, which is associated with a variant that affects medications that he was taking for ADHD. And it created a life-threatening condition that was easy to resolve once the underlying uh, reason was found by simply reducing the dose of his drug because uh, he, he was not a high metabolizer. And once uh, the dose was reduced, the side effects went away. So the message is twofold. We're proclaiming to the city and indeed to the world that we work on the conditions and diseases that patients bring to us. And we treat every child as an individual. This is the basis of precision medicine. But the second message is internally in the building because investigators in the building are bathed in light that's filtered through the DNA code of our patients. So they know um, every day why they're coming into work and what the purpose of that ultimate research is. In October, you launched Genomic Answers for Kids. This is billed as a first of its kind pediatric data repository and the flagship research initiative of CMRI. What problem is Genomic Answers for Kids trying to solve? So it actually is addressing several problems, but let me tell you the history of, of how we got there. When Tommy Pastinen joined uh, Children's Mercy, he really wanted to get involved in what he called bedside genomics. He wanted to bring genomics right to the patient. And uh, he brought in a lot of expertise in, in running large uh, uh, genome uh, projects and technical expertise in various aspects of genomics. So I got together with the head of uh, philanthropy, uh, Janae Oliver, and we challenged him to propose a large scale project that we knew we could get the Kansas City community behind in terms of fundraising. So he came up with the idea that the issue was we didn't have a sufficiently large database pediatric specific disease, particularly rare disease uh, in children. And the problem with a lot of studies is that they use only de-identified materials so the information can't be returned back to the patients and families. And we struggle as does every children's hospitals at getting insurance companies to pay for various genetic diagnoses. And this can lead to a, a terrible odyssey where families spend years going from clinic to clinic, hospital to hospital, test after test, until they uh, sometimes never end up with, with an actual answer as to why their child has a certain condition. So by creating a large-scale research project, that, uh, is, which has the goal of recruiting 30,000 patients and a total of 100,000 individuals, when we include uh, parents and, and siblings, we can provide uh, a clinical grade sequencing uh, done under clear cap conditions to families and cover that as part of the research cost. To meet those costs, we went to our donor community and I have to say they, they stepped up to the plate. And to date we've raised more than $17 million to launch that project. So the project was launched and even in the time of COVID has already amassed over 10,000 genomes. This is an ambitious effort to sequence children and their family members 
How many genomes are you hoping to sequence and, and over what period of time? Over the course of seven years, our goal is to sequence a total of 100,000 genomes. Um, and using a variety of technologies, as you know, there's not just one genome, there's multiple genomes and different ways of looking at, at those genomes. So the idea is to get the right technological approach for the right condition and individual. Um, we've already uh, consented uh, more than 2,200 families uh, with a total of 2,600 patients uh, enrolled in, in the program. And from the first 10,000 new genomic analyses, we've made more than 250 genetic diagnoses uh, and identified um, uh, several new disease genes just in this first year of the program. And some of the individual stories are, are just amazing. There's one family, an extended family with multiple members who got their first diagnosis 50 years after the first quest to find out what was wrong with an individual. I know you just announced that you're expanding the number of large-scale whole genome sequencing as part of your collaboration with Pacific Biosciences. This is for their hi-fi genome sequencing systems. What does this expansion mean to your capabilities? It's a pretty big boost. Um, in fact, the relationship with PacBio is not a simple vendor-client relationship. They're really partners. They've developed uh, analytical approaches and they've helped optimize the whole uh, sequencing path. Uh, and that's been really invaluable uh, to work with them. Their technology, as you know, is, is, is one of the so-called single molecule uh, long read sequencing approaches. And it gives a, a, a very different kind of uh, product that allows you to look at fairly large scale uh, gene rearrangements, which are often missed in, in the more standard uh, uh, whole genome sequencing uh, approaches. We do believe that this technology still has ways to develop and grow, but we want to be in on the ground floor pioneering its application for these children in need. We want to take kids from the back of the line and put them at the front. Well, what do you think this technology will mean for the discovery of new variants? So it will increase the hit rate. Uh, and, and we already see that uh, even in some of these initial applications because it picks up uh, a, a lot of sequencing programs focus entirely on the coding region uh, or they focus on target genes. By taking the whole genome approach, we can uncover things that lie in the spaces between genes, uh, for example, and identify some of the really tricky rearrangements which don't show up very well on other uh, sequencing uh, platforms. So we think the hit rate is, is going to go up. We think the quality of the sequence is also very interesting. When you see these reads laid out, uh, you get a, a chart and you can see the overlapping reads. It, it really lends itself to other kinds of analyses. So we would come in on top of that, for example, with a methylation pattern, with other epigenetic approaches. Uh, we would take some of the results that would come out of the, the PAC biosequencing and use them in other genetic screens uh, for functional studies uh, to, to take, take us to the next level. And of course, it works very well in combination with uh, RNA-seq uh, in terms of trying to understand patterns of expression that may be influenced by gene uh, rearrangements. I think there are many parents of children with rare diseases and adults too who think 
if they can only get sequencing performed, they'll have the answers they seek. Even though we've seen improvements in the ability of sequencing to diagnose patients, what do you see as the biggest barriers that still sometimes result in no conclusive answer? And, and what do you think will change that? Yeah, so the, the sequence is not the end. In many cases, it's the beginning. And families do understand that once they get involved in, in this journey. There are um, tricky issues that exist in, in uh, understanding the genome uh, that you only see when you start looking in great detail. So for example, we use a reference genome that, that everybody knows is not complete and it's, it's not ideal. Actually, ultimately you would like each family to be their own reference genome you build a, a full uh, genome based on these uh, long reads. We're not quite there to be able to do that in every case on a regular basis moving forward. Um, but I think that's where it's gonna end up in the future. And, and frankly, you have to acknowledge that there may not be a simple answer coming from the genome. We're, we're not necessarily focusing on single gene diseases. We're, we're focusing on children in need that present with a condition. That condition could be attributed to a collection of gene variants, finding out how those different gene variants, variants combine to create a condition is a really challenging piece of science. Uh, and that may be required for some of the conditions that we see. There are still regions of the genome that are even with the new technologies, very hard to, to sequence through. Um, and you get sometimes results that, that are open to interpretation. Um, and if a disease alteration lies in one of those cloudy areas, that still doesn't give a, a, a very clear answer. Um, but then another answer might be, maybe there's not a genetic uh, explanation for this disease. And that's an answer in itself. Uh, what if there's an epigenetic problem? Well, you still need the genome to understand the epigenetics. And so what the initial sequence analysis does for you is rule out certain other options and allow the, both the, the, the clinical team and the research investigators to focus on where that problem may actually ride, uh, lie. I think that the, the most important aspect of this large scale pro project is that we're bringing this high level technology to bear on the pediatric population, in a sense, we're pioneering the integration of genomics with the medical record. The children in the study will always have this reference genome to go back to for the rest of their lives. If they have additional uh, sequelae of their condition in later life, they, they have a starting point. It's not like they're going back uh, to scratch. So I look at this as an ongoing uh, project that is really bringing medicine to another level. In a sense, we're pioneering the future of all of medicine by working on kids in need. You and I have spoken in the past about data sharing and CMRI's commitment to it. As you build this data repository, what are the plans for data sharing? So data sharing is our bread and butter. There is no question that there's an obligation to share all the data that comes out of uh, this uh, project, but it's also the best way to come up with answers and solutions. In fact, as soon as we find 
a variant in, in a family, we look to the literature and find, well, who's working on this? Who has specialty knowledge? And we reach out to those folks and engage them in trying to understand what the sequence is, is telling us. We may have uh, information within those sequences that someone would recognize and we don't recognize. So the more we can make that available, the more eyes we get on the problem, the, the closer we are to providing sol solutions for families and, and patients. So of course, we're, uh, we're contributing to the standard uh, uh, variant uh, warehouses, uh, the genotyping, uh, as well as uh, whatever clinical information we're able to share. But we're also setting up a platform that allows as close as possible to real-time sharing of detailed information, which would require investigators have a IRB approval to get access to the clinical information that they need to, to unite with the DNA sequence information. So it's easier for us to share uh, the, the genomic sequence uh, information without the detailed clinical information, but at some point, investigators need access to that. So because we're building uh, an identifiable database, which is really clinically uh, and HIPAA protected, you, you need to go through those barriers, but that's because the quality of information is there. Uh, and this is, I believe, this is the future of, of research, that, that you need access to all of that clinical information. And as a researcher in this world, why does that matter so much to making advances in rare disease? With, with rare diseases, um, there are many conditions we, we don't even have a name for. Uh, we don't know anything about. So building that relationship between the phenotype, the genotype, and the broader community is a way to start to codify and identify disease entities, find other patients and families that share the same condition. There may be even circumstances where there's already a solution that's been uh, uh, identified somewhere else. We would like to get access to that solution. If we end up providing diagnoses or solutions or answers uh, to, to our families, we want to share that with as many families as, as possible and as many investigators as possible. The other goal is that by building the, a really high quality database, we will attract the very best analysts to come in and work with that data because they go to the source. They, they go to where the data uh, exists in order to test out their cutting edge uh, analytical tools. And there's so much work to be done in that area. I would be very happy if someone else makes great discoveries using our data that ultimately benefit uh, children and families. Uh, that to me would be a success. Even though the program is relatively new, you've made quick progress. How many families have enrolled so far? How much sequencing has performed and, and what's been the outcome? So uh, there are 2,230 families enrolled. Uh, and of that number, there are 2,000 uh, 600 patients uh, enrolled. To date, we've sequenced 10,200. Uh, so these are new genomic analyses. From that, we've achieved 250 genetic diagnoses and we've contributed to, contribute to the reporting of 10 new disease genes. Um, we've also uh, advanced research in uh, families of diseases that, uh, you know, are thought to be uh, different, such as cerebral palsy and Down syndrome, but actually have uh, critical genomic uh, components. 
And in the case of cerebral palsy, some of the conditions turn out to be caused by genetic variants, not by specific deprivation of, of oxygen uh, during uh, development or, or birth. Um, Down syndrome, we know the, the genetic uh, anomaly, but what about all the other genes? Are they contributing to the range of phenotypes that you see in Down's uh, syndrome? So there are many diseases that, that benefit. We've got about 350 families with these more common diseases that are benefiting from the genomic analyses as well. What's the long-term expectation for the program? What impact do you expect it to have beyond the people you sequence and diagnose? The real ambition is that we want to change the face of medicine. We want to bring genomics in as a tool that physicians use uh, in the regular course of medicine. We think every patient benefits from having that information as part of their, their medical record. And for example, the application of pharmacogenomics, anyone who's taking any medication could benefit from knowing, do you have a gene variant that affects your ability to metabolize or absorb that particular medication? So the longer term is that the way we develop this program may end up being a model for how even adult medicine is pursued in the future. The intermediate term is working with others. You know, we, we have the group that we're working here, we're recruiting patients both locally and, and from actually all over, as long as they fit the profile for this uh, particular research study. But we're partnering with investigators everywhere in the world. And if others uh, look at this as a model and then develop something similar or so, even something better, I'd also be very happy uh, that that happened. We don't own this exclusively. We want to share our approach and inspire others to do similar things because then the database would grow and maybe multiple da databases would be able to cooperate. We're trying to work closely with the Ontario, Ontario Institute. Uh, Dr. Pastanen has very good connections there to participate in their data sharing program because they've pioneered some aspects of data sharing that we want to emulate. Tom Curran, Senior Vice President, Chief Scientific Officer, and Executive Director of the Children's Mercy Research Institute. Tom, thanks as always. Thank you very much, Daniel. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.